This is episode number 51 with Dr. Heather Sanderson. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle, and thank you for joining me today. I've got such an interesting show and guest lined up. We are talking about how to optimize brain health and to help us navigate this complex area, I've asked Dr. Heather Sanderson to come on the show. She's a naturopathic doctor who has expertise in neurocognitive medicine and neurohacking, and she's been trained to specifically address imbalances that affect the brain, including autism, ADD slash ADHD, depression, anxiety, and Alzheimer's. She is trained with Dr. Dale Bredesen, who is the author of The End of Alzheimer's, and she is dedicated to learning all there is to know about brain health. So the reason I asked Dr. Sanderson to come on is because I read an article about her and how she actually helped a woman improve her symptoms of Alzheimer's, and she's going to tell us the story today. But I was immediately intrigued, and just the subject matter of brain health is really so important. There are so many key takeaways from today's episode, and I'll have everything at the show notes. But as always, before we jump in, anytime we do talk about health and wellness, this is for informational purposes only, not to replace your own trusted healthcare provider or practitioner. You should always start with them. So I'm just going to jump right into the show and introduce you to Dr. Sanderson, and I know you're going to love today's conversation. So here we go. Hey, Dr. Sanderson, thank you so much for joining me today. Michelle, it's so it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, we're going to be covering a big topic today, optimizing brain health, which is huge. Um, and I thought, though, it just is helpful for the women listening to just understand a little bit more about you and your background and what a naturopathic doctor is, since that's the kind of medicine that you practice. Sure. Yeah. So a naturopathic doctor, it's a four-year medical program. So this is similar to an MD or a DO program, an osteopathic program. So you have to do four years of undergrad in a pre-med sciences, and then you do four years of medical school, medical training. And um, we dissect a cadaver and we learn to prescribe medications, although that's not the only tool in our tool belt. So that's what's really exciting about naturopathic medicine is that we can really individualize the treatment based on what that patient needs. The other big difference with naturopathic medicine versus our conventional modern medicine is that we have a huge reverence for the body's ability to heal itself, right? So my goal when I work with a patient is to identify what are the things preventing them from healing? Because a lot of this, it's like, we just need to get out of the way. And I look for things like toxins for nutrient imbalances, certainly structural issues. So sitting all the time, right? And having poor posture or even you know, head injuries are a big problem when it comes to brain health. We look for genetic factors, 
that maybe we can, we can fine tune or optimize. We're not talking like sickle cell or down syndrome, but things like MTHFR is very commonly um, discussed in, in terms of the single nucleotide polymorphisms. And then things like APOE in the case of Alzheimer's or cognitive decline comes up and then stress levels. So I'm really trying to look at the whole person, what's going on there, what are the things, the perturbations or the things that are stressors on their system, and then how can we get those out of the way and put the right things in? Okay, so this is so good. And um, you're really getting to the heart of what's triggering these symptoms versus just trying to put the Band-Aids on and say, okay, take this medicine for this and we'll give you this for this. You're really getting at the heart of what's caused it to bring the body back into balance to heal itself is what I'm understanding. Absolutely. That's such a great way of putting it. Um, and I would take it even one step further because I think a lot of people, you know, there's this idea of like the band-aid where we're just going after symptoms versus getting to the root cause. And I have a lot of patients that come in and they say, Hey, my, I have EVV or I have thyroid disorder. I have Hashimoto's or I have, you know, um, fibromyalgia. And it's like, what does that mean? Right? Like what's going on that threw your body out of balance so that it wasn't able to kick that EBV, right? Mm -hmm. EBV is ubiquitous. There's, there's, viruses like EBV, CMV, even I would go so far as to say Borrelia or like the Lyme co-infections, those are very, very, very common. So if it's a problem for you, I would encourage patients to, I do encourage my patients and I would encourage anyone listening to take it that step further and say, what's out of balance that's making me susceptible, right? And, and that's really where, where I think the meat and the magic in, in our medicine is. Okay. So there's so many ways I could take this conversation now, but I'm going to ask, ask you first to just define. So EPV, is that Epstein-Barr Epstein virus? Epstein-Barr virus. virus. Yeah, okay. exactly. So these are EBV and CMV, so cytomegalovirus and Epstein-Barr virus. They're the viruses associated with mono or reactivated mono. Sometimes people will say it for adults. Okay. And you mentioned MTHFR. I've heard of that. I don't actually know what that is. Could you define what that yeah. is? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people have done like a 23andMe um, genomic exploration um, or a test. And, or there's lots of others as well. You don't have to do 23andMe, but MTHFR is methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase. So this is an enzyme that has to do with folate. And um, my opinion, so there's a lot of people that have done a lot of work in this space, and I, I dove pretty deep for a little while, and I didn't find it overly helpful. So we don't, we, you know, but I can kind of discuss my opinion about why. I, I didn't find it particularly helpful for the patients I was seeing. And sometimes I, I found it actually harmful because they got really attached to this idea that this one SNP or single nucleotide polymorphism was governing so much of their life, right? So like what they could eat, what supplements they could take, rah, rah, rah. It was like a long list of things that um, felt very restrictive. And um, a lot of people I found were, were sort of saying, this is my problem. Like this is the reason why. Mm -hmm. And I just don't buy that. I think that genetics and particularly the single nucleotide polymorphisms, they are they're an indication of some potential, but MTHFR is literally one piece of a million piece puzzle, right? Like there is a ton, excuse me, there's a train <laughs> very close to my office. <laughs> it's, it's nice when it goes by, it reminds me to take a deep breath, <laughs> but it's also very distracting. Um, 
So MTHFR, one piece of this million piece puzzle. And really, I think that the epigenetics or the inputs, so what the nutrients are, what the stressors are, what defines our genetic expression of Mm. that potential is much, much, much more important than the potential itself. Okay. So people can listen to this and say, this sounds really interesting and also a little overwhelming. So let's we'll keep checking, you know, breaking it down just a little bit further. So if somebody comes into your clinic, because let me just clarify too, because I'm still learning more about your practice too. You've got your practice. And then I think you're also launching a center for the elderly to study brain health too. Is that correct? Oh, great, great question. So we've got a few different things going on. Um, I I have a clinic in North County Natural Medicine, and here I practice with a couple other naturopathic doctors and an acupuncturist and massage therapist and a phenomenal staff, and we're very lucky. Um, And here we see, we focus on brain health. So we see everything from autism in children, ADD, ADHD, all the way up to, yes, cognitive decline and and even late-stage Alzheimer's. Um, I had a couple late-stage Alzheimer's patients this week who we are hopeful we can help. And then everything in between, anxiety, depression, anything that really affects the brain. Um, And so that's happening at the clinic. And what I found working in the clinic was that there were a couple questions that came up really often for patients. And so I'm trying to answer those for them. One question was, if I come to you or if I bring my parent or my loved one to you who has cognitive decline, how likely is it that if I spend all this time and money, they are going to get better? The honest truth of that is we don't know yet. We have some thoughts about how possible it is, but we just we don't have a number. Um, I would say in my practice, if if someone can follow the plan, the odds are quite good. But again, that takes resources. It takes not only money, but it takes time. It takes organization. If you have someone with cognitive decline, they definitely need a caregiver who's committed to helping support them with the supplements and the medications and the lifestyle things, changes that we want to make. And so it takes a lot to do it. So that was what led me to creating um, an immersive experience in this lifestyle that's proven to reverse cognitive decline. We also are um, excited because we have the potential, we are through our IRB for a study that we're going to do at the clinic. So it'll be patients to the clinic where we'll um, take a cohort through this individualized approach to cognitive decline. And so hopefully at the end of that, be able to answer how likely is it that if you do this, you will get an improvement in your cognitive decline. Okay. Wow. So wait, what's an RIB? So IRB is the internal review oh, board. IRB, so anytime, internal review yeah, board. Okay. Anytime you do a study with mm. human subjects, mm. you have to make sure that uh, you're treating your subjects well, right? The, so this came out of things like Tuskegee what is the classic example where um, there were black men with syphilis and some were treated and others were not mm. um, treated for the disease. And it, it was obviously like this is super unethical. There was a treatment and people were denied the treatment wow. because they were in this study. So absolutely like horrible. And IRBs were created if you want to publish a human studies research, if you want to publish human research studies, then you must go through an IRB first mm. um, so that they can look and make sure that you're not taking advantage of a vulnerable population. Mm. And certainly people with cognitive decline would are by definition vulnerable. And so how long is the study? Like how long do you have to be working with these people to understand whether or not 
you know, how likely success will be based on the protocol? Yeah, we're planning on a year. So, so one year and, um, we're hoping to, certainly my experience clinically is that within a year we see, we see benefit. Sometimes it's within weeks. Okay. So we need to dive into this. So actually how I found you was seeing an article about a woman who had, I don't know what stage Alzheimer's was it that you helped? um, so the way that I kind of assess how, you know, how progressed the disease is, yeah. uh, the cognitive decline is through something called a MOCA score. That's a nice way to do it because it's simple. It's a free test. It's the, it's a Montreal cognitive assessment is what MOCA, M-O-C-A stands for. And the, this group in Montreal put it together. It's a PDF. You can find it online. You can't give it to yourself. You need to have somebody else administer it. But it's, it's a really inexpensive, easy way to put a number on how well someone is performing cognitively. Mm. So the patient that you're referring to, she was actually my first patient after I was trained by Dr. Dale Bredesen. Mm -hmm. And she came in and she had a MOCA score of two. Normal is above 24. So she basically knew that she was in a doctor's office and she knew her own name and I think her husband's name. Mm -hmm. Like she had, she did not, I would start to ask, ask her a question and she would forget what the question was before she had a chance to answer. Mm. Yeah, it it was, it was quite sad. Now she was a very, I will say that one of the things that I'm certain of, um, being integral in someone's success is she was happy. She was laughing. She loved clothes. So she wore these bright, fun, sparkly, colorful clothes. Mm. And she had a great relationship with a husband who was so supportive, who is, he continues to be. So, um, Three weeks later, she came back. She had gotten out of her moldy bedroom. She had, I think they moved out of the house entirely. Um, she had started dancing. So she'd gotten a lot more exercise. She changed her diet and she got her amalgams out. So her, her metal fillings out of her mouth um, by the dentist. And we hadn't, we had started a couple of supplements, but I was waiting on lab work. So I hadn't started a ton. It was really just the lifestyle pieces. And she came back three weeks later. She had a MOCA score of eight. Wow. So yeah, was this based on, you me- You mentioned Dale Bresden, Bresden? But Dale Bresden's, Bre- which his book is The End of Alzheimer's. Bredesen, yeah. Bredesen. Dale Bredesen. Yeah, please tell name. us more about that. So is that the protocol that you worked with her on? Yeah, so we'll use the term protocol loosely, but okay. yes, absolutely. It's Dale Bredesen's protocol, but I think protocol we kind of think of as being, all right, you take this person at this age and this mm-hmm. sex and you give them this and that, and it's all very measured, right? What Dale Bredesen is saying is basically there are 78 different parameters we can look at that have some influence on brain health. And he describes six different pathways to cognitive decline. And essentially, in you know, the conventional, I'll kind of compare these two perspectives of cognitive decline or Alzheimer's disease, um, more specifically, but there's kind of two ideas. One is that there's beta amyloid plaques or, or tau proteins. And once you have these in your brain, you have Alzheimer's disease and you can't remember things, right? And, and there's severe cognitive decline that can happen very quickly and it's irreversible. And that's sort of the conventional approach. And unfortunately, when they, do their studies with with medications, um, what we see is that they're 99.6% of the time, they're totally ineffective. So this is despite billions, literally billions of dollars 
that have gone into trying to find a cure for this or, or a medication that would even sort of not just reverse it, but would, would slow the progression. Mm. I mean, can you imagine from a, a pharmaceutical company's perspective, there's a ton of money to be made, right? Because mm. baby boomers, the statistics are just wild, right? There's 5.8 million people with diagnosed Alzheimer's today in the United wow. States. And we're expecting about 10 million by 2025. So oh. just in five years, they're expecting that number to essentially double. Um, baby boomers, like by the time baby boomers turn 85, one in two of them will have diagnosed Alzheimer's. So this is, they're staggering numbers here. And so from a pharmaceutical perspective, there's a lot of money to be made. Mm. Um, unfortunately they haven't been able to figure it out. Mm. And the reason is because we think, I think, um, the paradigm is wrong, right? There's not a drug. Actually, there are some drugs that can get rid of tau proteins and beta amyloid plaques. The problem is they don't get rid of the symptoms. They don't bring your memory back. So even if you stop these pathological changes, you still have the memory loss. So Dale Bredesen has this entirely different approach to how he sees things. He thinks, and, and there's more and more people I think are coming around to this, that what's happening with cognitive decline is that the brain is actually trying to protect itself. Mm. So there's some sort of infection, inflammation, toxin. Uh, you know, Obviously, if you get hit over the head with something or you fall on your head, there, inflammation happens and there can be areas where the, the brain basically wants to encapsulate or wall off mm. neurons or cells that are no longer helpful. And this is because if we have something, we call them senescent cells or cells that are a little bit tired, they're not working optimally, then they start to zombify is the very technical term we use, um, the cells around it. So it makes sense. And when we think about this, like, okay, the, the body is brilliant. The brain is the brain being part of that, but like the body is this absolutely incredible healing machine. Right. And so there's wisdom in this. Whenever there is a perturbation, again, these, these toxins, infections, inflammation in the brain, your body is trying to, to wall it off so that yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't cause more and more and more harm. Mm. And if we can take out those things that are causing the body, the brain to feel at risk or in danger, then all of a sudden it doesn't have to create beta amyloid plaques. It doesn't have to create tau proteins. It doesn't have to create these MS lesions. There's a lot of neurodegenerative diseases that kind of fall into this bucket mm. of um, of the brain creating change in order to protect itself. Yeah. The body's always trying to get back into balance and heal. It's constantly doing that every day, right? Every minute. I, You know, that is my religion. Yeah. <laughs> the body is this incredible healing machine. It, mm. it, it absolutely, it is divinely designed to heal. Yeah. I completely believe that. But so let's go a little deeper then. So I'm just curious. So did you work with that woman beyond that? So three weeks later, she came in, you must have been thrilled to see that. So you had given her oh. some of Dale Bresiden's, you know, treatment, whatever yeah. based. And are you trained in that? I'm just curious. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. So you're trained. In yeah. This. So I did the training with Dr. Bredesen yeah. um, a few years ago. And then, yep, this patient came in and what we did is we just talked through all of these things that could potentially be affecting her brain. Mm. And we, 
I discovered that there was mold in her house. Um, they knew that they knew it was there. They knew it was, I think it was in the bathroom that was connected the ensuite in the master bathroom. And so I said, you got to get out of there right away. Um, we discovered that there was, she had, I think 14 or 15 amalgams in her mouth. Mm. And so I said, you need to go see a biological dentist who can get those out and can do it safely. And then we talked about exercise and diet. We talked about all of these, these foundational things. You don't even need a doctor to, obviously you need a, you need a dentist if you're going to take care of you don't need me to tell you, you know, that these things are super important. Um, and I, I just, I ordered labs and I wasn't really expecting much. She was literally the first patient I saw after being trained by Dr. Mm. Bredesen. So when she came back that much better, she was bickering with her husband. This was Mm. what really, um, let me know that she was better. She was bickering with her husband about something that had happened the night before. Mm. She was carrying on a conversation and she remembered what had happened the night before. It's bringing my tears to my eyes. This is really powerful. I mean, yeah. Michelle, I was sobbing. I was sobbing. I could not believe how much of a change I had seen in her. And from that day on, like I am so committed to this. If I could, if, if I could help support I mean, even just her, like if I could help support people in that, even if the chances weren't that great that everyone got better, mm. if one in 10, I mean, imagine the relationships with their families, the relationships with grandkids, if somebody could go back to work. I mean, that's why I do what I do yeah. is because if a sick person can't contribute, they're not engaged in their families and their communities and their work. They're not giving their gifts to the world. If we can give that back, I mean, the world is different, especially if we can do that for 10 million people or for some fraction. If we could do that for a million of the 10 million people that are going to have Alzheimer's disease in 2025, the world's a different place. So it's just, it's heartbreaking to hear those numbers. And actually, Lisa Genova, I mentioned her to you before we got on the show. Um, she I'm wrote, yeah, are you, are right you writing or reading still, Alice? I, at your recommendation. Yeah, of course. Um, she's a phenomenal woman and wants to bring empathy to these neurological diseases that most people just don't have enough awareness or about. And I just have such admiration for her work. And she's actually writing a nonfiction that hopefully she'll come back on and talk to us about with her research based on this. And um, But when I hear these numbers, and I'm somebody who's deeply hopeful, and I do believe in the body's ability to heal, but I also am realistic too. You know, people could listen and we want, we want that hope. Um, so, you know, where does somebody even start? Like if they think they're declining mentally, if they see someone that they love, I mean, a lot of times you just, you don't even want to, you kind of want to pretend it's not there or something, you know, there's a lot of emotion that goes along and, um, there's pride, you know, especially when you're still aware. So how do you even begin to navigate this for yourself or someone you love? Where do you even start? Yeah. Well, I think that the first thing to know is that there is hope that now, right now you start today Mm. and, um, getting Dale Bredesen's book, The End of Alzheimer's is it really lays out the protocol, like this, this approach It's an individualized approach, Mm -hmm. but there are some things that are foundational and true for everyone. Mm -hmm. So a hundred percent organic diet, switch to a hundred percent organic diet today, Mm -hmm. uh, get exercise. So the, the recommendations from a cardiac perspective are 200 minutes at, um, 75% of max heart rate, 70 to 80% of max heart rate, 
for 200 minutes a week. So that works for brain health as well. What does that break um, down into now? I feel like I have to do the math for everyone listening. Yeah, yeah. It usually breaks down to like four one-hour classes. Okay. So 50 minutes, four times a week at yeah. that heart rate. But if you have some work or if you're like warming up and cooling down, usually if you could do a, you know, like a an intensive yoga class or a spin class or run or anything that gets your heart rate up yeah. for 200 minutes a week mm-hmm. is the idea or four or four hours. You could also do half hour stents, but do it, mm-hmm. you know, now you're looking at eight times a week. Um, so exercise, diet, meditation, and brain games, um, learn a language. That's one of the easy ways to do it. I personally, I use Duolingo mm-hmm. and I'm learning Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, and Duolingo is, is, is a great way to do it. I think it's like, if you get the, it's free for one version with ads. And I think it's like $35 for the deluxe for the year. Do you have so, the app or is it on your desktop? Mm-hmm. You have the app, right? I use it, the app on my phone. So if I'm in line waiting at, you know, where I was at AAA the other day. So if I'm like at, taking a passport photo. Um, so like if I'm waiting for something, then I'll, I'll use Duolingo, not at a stoplight, right? That's not help promoting behavior. Um, but <laughs> anytime. <laughs> Thank anytime you for not doing act- that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, anytime there's a little extra time and I have my phone with me, I'll get in there instead of reading the news or uh, getting on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. I, I'm trying to, personally, I'm trying to like keep myself sharp. Um, and communicate with the people around me who speak Spanish. Well, let me actually ask you about social media, because I find that when I'm looking at Instagram or something and like I've got my computer and then I pop on or whatever, I feel like my brain's like, I don't like that. Stop messing with me. Like I'm trying to focus. Now you're distracting me. What Do you have any sense or any research based on all of these different forms of, you know, ways that we're connected that I don't actually think are particularly beneficial, um, especially because we're all a little addicted to it based on the fact that it's designed to be addictive. So what are your thoughts on that? Oh my God, I have so many thoughts. Um, so is it good for us? No, not at all. Yeah, Not at all. Um, I think, you know, the argument is that it increases connectivity and, and we can be potentially if, you know, you're fine, following things that are inspirational, maybe you get that hit. But for the vast majority of people who are on Facebook or Instagram, it, it's not particularly helpful unless maybe you make money on it somehow, then <laughs> hey, more power to you. Um, but I can tell you my strategies. I don't have Facebook on my phone. Um, I do have Instagram, but I keep it hidden. So it's like three pages in and it's buried in one of those things. So I really have to work to go find it. It's not like a quick, easy right there. I have to decide, okay, I want to get on there and post a photo or I want to get on there and see what so-and-so is up to. Yeah. Um, I think making it a little bit more challenging, right? This is increasing friction, Right. From a marketing perspective, a lot of um, companies like Amazon, they they have your credit card stored. Click here, one click, and you can order it. Right? They're reducing the amount of friction it mm-hmm. takes for you to make that decision. Mm-hmm. If we can kind of reverse engineer that and increase the amount of friction that it requires for us to get on Facebook or, or Instagram mm-hmm. or whatever, Twitter, whatever it is that you use, then um, then we're less likely to do it. And then also having alternatives right? Okay. Yeah. So I'm bored and everybody around me is on my phone. I'm going to jump on Duolingo, mm-hmm. not, or I'm going to go take a walk outside mm-hmm. having, having, um, an alternative already set up. Yeah. 
so that the default isn't to go there. Yeah. And I'm just going to add this just because, you know, I think pay attention to your feelings too, because I know that you can scroll and then you can feel your body's kind of tight and you're not breathing. You're like, this isn't comfortable. And then uh, like, just as comparison, my daughter is taking piano and she's learning for Elise, which is a song that I've always wanted to, to learn always. So she's teaching me. And so every night before bed, I'm just doing those two parts and I can feel just elated. I just feel so much joy. And I know that's good for my brain, right? The fact that I'm learning the Absolutely. piano. Yeah. So that's so, I mean, I think I, I'm just going to say everyone pay attention. Like <laughs> this, there's, I, I can feel on an intuitive level, even if there mm-hmm. weren't stats, just it does not feel good just to have so much data that you're scrolling through, like your brain has to work that hard, but let's come back to your expertise. I just, I could go off on a tangent. No, I, I absolutely love that. And that's such a good point too. I said, learn a language, but you could learn a musical, you could learn to play a musical instrument. You could pick up watercolors, you know, anything that is asking your brain to do more work. I think as we get older, you know, we get siloed into the things that we have, we've developed skills in. Mm. And this is something that's for a young brain that's constantly learning new things. And so asking your brain to learn something new, it it stimulates all those hormones that create new neurons, Mm. not new pathways, new tracks. And that's exactly what we want. Yeah. So tell us what actually does. So you talked about the amyloid beta, maybe clogging things up or whatever, but um, Mm -hmm. is there decline because like you're saying, we're not taking in new information or what, you know, there were different things with that woman. There was mold. You said the amalgams, but she started dancing. Like, give us like a sense of like what you think is really like causing this. Well, Dr. Bredesen lays out essentially six different pathways, Mm -hmm. and they're not mutually exclusive. You can have more than one. So the first is toxic, or excuse me, he has them in a little bit different order. I always put toxicity first, and I put toxicity first because it's so ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. We live in a toxic world, right? And so what can we do about it? Only the things that we can do about it, right? It's not about getting overwhelmed or depressed, but it's like, all right, let's make better decisions based on this knowledge that like there are chemicals around us everywhere. Mm -hmm. So toxicity, I'll put first, even though I think Dale puts it third, um, inflammation. And when, with inflammation, I always ask the question, okay, why, what caused the inflammation? Glycotoxicity is another one. This is too much sugar. This is type three diabetes is another thing that people call Alzheimer's. And this is one of Dale's types is, is, um, is glycotoxicity. And then another one is, um, atrophic. So this is trophic factors are our hormones, things like uh, testosterone, growth hormone, estrogen, progesterone, thyroid hormone, vitamin D, all of these hormones we need in good balance so that we're, they, they send the signal to make new neurons. Mm. Um, that's why they're associated again with youth, right? Our, our nice, healthy skin, mm. same thing on the inside, right? That, that comes with cycling hormones often for women and, and enough testosterone for men. But although men need estrogen and progesterone and women need testosterone just in different, different ratios. Mm. Then, so that's four. So what do we say? Toxicity, glycotoxicity, inflammation, atrophic, and then vascular. This is like cholesterol cause as causes atherosclerotic plaques, or if you have a kink in your neck and your, your posture's off, you're not getting enough blood flow both into the brain and out of it. Mm. So that can be a major cause of cognitive decline or can certainly contribute. The other thing there becomes if plaques break off, or if you have small clots and you're having strokes, then what you typically see is um, someone will plateau, have have like 
typical cognitive function and then they'll drop very quickly and then they'll plateau there. It's because they're having strokes, ischemic events that that block blood flow to the brain. But not obvious strokes where it's like your face drooping kind of thing, like more smaller, actual smaller strokes. Exactly. Or the the, um, blood flow is being blocked to a different area. So it may not be obvious and obvious stroke the way we're, we're taught to think about it with, yeah, like the face drooping or paralysis on one side, but it's actually cognitive function that changes. But you said a kink in the neck. So what does that, what does that even mean? Yeah. So this, you know, this is not, again, this isn't as obvious as, as like a stroke that the obvious stroke where you have the paralysis and the the face drooping and all that. This is more on a day-to-day um, scale, time scale, where if your head is so far forward of your shoulders, you have arteries that go through, literally through your spine. Mm. And if your head is kinked to one side or it's really far forward, then it's not set up so that you have good, easy, like resistance-free blood flow to the brain. Mm. And that means that you're not getting the nutrients, you're not getting the oxygen to your brain that it's necessary. It's not optimized, maybe not necessary. You're alive, you're talking and walking, but, but it's not optimal. And then same thing on the way out. If you don't have good blood flow on the way out, or if you're not getting enough sleep, um, sleep is where a lot of detox happens in the brain. You're not getting the things right. We want to get the right things in and the wrong things out. We want to get the things out that are not serving us. Mm -hmm. And if that's not happening, then it's going to build up in the brain. And again, we end up in this place where the brain needs to protect itself. Got it. And was sleep the sixth one then? The sixth. Th- Sorry. No. Thank you. So, um, the sixth one is traumatic brain injuries. Uh, so this is like CTE, what we see in, in football players. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that is associated with football players in particular because they wear these helmets and they're getting these these particular kinds of, of traumatic TBIs, traumatic brain injuries. Mm-hmm. They have um, a, they have a certain type of CTE that, that leads to more violence, mm-hmm. actually, and, and aggression. Um, but you know, car accidents, uh, soccer players who headbutt balls, um, other contact sports that aren't football, um, falling you know falling is is a big one. Um, and hitting your head in a bathtub or on stairs or something like that, those are all really, really uh, uh, um, important to consider for me as a doctor because they can have a big influence on on cognitive function, even years later. So does somebody need to come see a naturopathic doctor who specializes in brain health like you? I mean, it seems like this would be overwhelming or too much to do on your <laughs> own. What can we do? So we're going to eat well, we're yeah. going to exercise, we're going to learn a language or, you know, so I'll tell you, you know, my mom was suffering a little bit. I mean, I say that lately, but, um, she, she was starting to joke that she couldn't remember things Mm -hmm. and it was scary for me. It was, I could tell it was scary for her too. Mm -hmm. So she is about 65 and, um, she would just talk about like misplacing this or that, or, Oh, haha, I got that wrong because I forgot. And, um, and then she came because I had a baby last December. Yay. So she showed up for my baby. And of course I was like, mom, I don't want to hear about anything that's organic that comes in the house. It's news if it's not organic, mm-hmm. right? Like only tell me if you're making an exception to this rule of mine. And she like laughed and humored me. So she only ate organic for six weeks while she was um, here helping me with my baby. And when she went, uh, the other thing that I did was, uh, 
I made her go see my dentist and get all of her amalgams out. Mm. When she left six weeks later, she wasn't complaining about forgetting things anymore. That's all we did. And she was still drinking because it was kind of stressful. So she was like, I need a glass of wine. <laughs> um, so she was terrible. She was still drinking, um, which I don't recommend. She should have stopped. But she got improvement. She had mild cognitive decline, right? She's still working. She's still driving. This is not late stage Alzheimer's, but she was starting to notice cognitive decline. We changed her diet. That was the only thing she did different. And she got better. Well, the, the amalgams too. But I think that actually happened right before she left and like the week before she left and she had already gotten better. So I know it feels and sounds overwhelming, but it's possible if you start early enough that it's just small changes that are necessary. Cause again, like we can go back to the body has the ability to heal. Mm. So if we take things out of the way that are, yeah. that are detrimental, then all of a sudden things get better. Yeah. That's, it's so interesting. Like you said, the body just wants to get back into balance. It wants to heal itself. It's constantly doing that and we need to help it. Uh, you mentioned mold. Um, should people be testing for mold? Is that something they can do with their regular doctor? Is that something they have to do with a functional medicine doctor? Because I think at some point we've all been exposed to, you know, if you've had any water, there's probably mold at some point, <laughs> yeah. somewhere you've lived. So what exactly. are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just take a step back and say there's three different types of toxins that are particularly toxic to the body that, that cause problems that we can test for. It's heavy metals, molds and mycotoxins, and then chemical toxins. We can't test for 100% of them, but we can test for a lot of them and we can get some sense of what your exposure is. Step number one in terms of treating toxicity is to know that you're not currently being exposed. So right, stop the exposure. And that's 75% of environmental illness. So if you have gotten sick because of an environmental exposure, number one, first thing to do, you will not get better unless you do it, is stop the exposure. So identify it and stop it. Second thing is understanding, it's really helpful for me if I can know which ones you have. So if you have lead versus mercury or mercury versus lead, we use different chelating agents. Same thing with the mycotoxins. If I can test that and you have ochratoxin versus gliotoxin, the binding agents that we use are more specific to one or the other. So we can be better about getting them out of you. Um, do Conventional doctors do not do this testing. Um, and that's part of the reason why I was saying I always put toxins first on my list of mm. causal factors is because the conventional world pretty much, much ignores it like on a good day and they like laugh at you on a bad day, right? Mm. And say, this is all in your head. This is crazy talk. But we know we live in a, I mean, this is from my perspective, I'm like, this is common sense. Like we live in a toxic world where there are tens of thousands of new chemicals to this generation that's on the planet today, yeah. um, or, or these generations, I guess. Um, so it's, and it's wild to me that like, there's more obesity, more infertility, more diabetes, more endocrine issues, more autoimmune issues than ever before. Mm -hmm. And why are we not looking at our environment? We know more cancer, right? We know that these things are causal. Um, but you know, that there's a thousand conspiracy theories about why. So conventional medicine, short answer is no, they won't look. Um, so you need to see a functional medicine or a naturopathic doctor, functional medicine specialists that, you know, there's PAs and nurse practitioners or, um, medical doctors, DOs, whoever, 
there's a wide range of the, the credentialing that people can have. It's the training that they get either outside of school if they're not a naturopath or um, I guess that they could get it clinically. So it, it yeah, you'd want to do some digging to make sure that people do this type of testing. I use Great Plains for mycotoxins. Um, I tend to use doctor's data or Quicksilver for heavy metals. And then for chemical toxins, I use Great Plains. Those are the labs. Those are the names of the labs. So if you were calling a doctor's office, for instance, you could ask, hey, do you work with Great Plains Lab or do you work with Dr. Zeta or do you work with Quicksilver? And that would give you some indication of um, of how that doctor's been trained or what they've been trained to interpret. Um, and for brain optimization and brain health, though, do they need your specialized training or do do all naturopaths, I don't know enough about the world of naturopathic doctors, you know, tackle, because I know they look for root cause, but you have an additional level of training and curiosity, obviously, this is your passion, what you do. Um, how important is that? Yeah, great. That's a really good question. Um, you know, what a doctor does after they finish school is almost more important than what, where they went to school or what they studied in school. Um, because there are just so many areas of, of specialty. However, you know, when I talk about brain function and what we do to optimize brain function, we could just as easily be talking about liver function or hormone optimization, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's kind of the same story because anything that you do that harms, could potentially harm your brain or anything that you could do to potentially to support your brain, it's the same thing if we're talking about your heart or, or you're, we're talking about your hormones, right? Everything that we do is going to reduce the, the perturbation, the stressors on the body and support the function of every cell. Mm. Um, so although I have a little bit more maybe training around um, things that are specific to the brain health, I think that you could see a naturopathic doctor anywhere and get some get benefit. Certainly. And what do you do on a daily basis for your own health and brain health? Do you follow Dale's program or how do you go about, you know, reducing the toxins? And you obviously eat all all organic. That much we got. But what else do you do? Yeah. So, and I had a baby 10 months ago, she's 10, 10, 11, almost 11 months now. Mm. Um, and, uh, so my daily habits, my daily routines have changed a lot. Yeah, (laughs) I bet. Um, but I, so, you know, I don't, I'll be honest. I, I have a clinic, I have a startup, I'm in a, uh, school program. I'm in a class right now on Monday nights, and then I've got a 10 month old. So there's a lot going on in my world and it has been, it's a lot to juggle. These things can, it can feel like a full-time job, but I, I also feel like I have the benefit of having gone through naturopathic school where I created a lot of habits. So a hundred percent organic diet myself or my husband cooks, you know, six out of seven nights. Um, and then we bring leftovers. So we have a lot of control over what we eat. Mm-hmm. I do get exercise, although not as much as I would like. Um, but like one of the simple things I do, I take an extra five minutes and I drive the coast every day on the way home, on the way to work every day, I go by the ocean and that for my brain is so helpful. Mm. Um, of course I'm always learning new things, uh, which is exciting. You know, that that's, I think that's just part of who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I do, before I leave the house, I drink 24 ounces of water. Mm. Okay. And what kind of diet are you following? Is it based on his, like, is it, and there's so many 
paleo, whatever, do you have a philosophy on what's good nutrients, you know, how to get those good nutrients in? What's your take on that? Yeah, great question. So um, I really like Michael Pollan, his approach Mm -hmm. to this, eat a lot of plants, don't eat too much, eat seasonally. Um, I believe that a lot of the benefit we get from diets, whatever diet it is, is actually from changing your diet. It's not from the diet in particular. And I see this because patients, the diet that got them well doesn't necessarily keep them well. Wow, that's profound. Okay, say more. (laughs) Yeah. So um, a lot of people, you know, the keto diet has been obviously very popular and the, the 1990s version was the Atkins diet. And a lot of people notice that they lost weight, they feel more mentally clear, all of these things, but you don't typically stay there if you stay on the ketogenic diet. Yeah. So you need to cycle off. And if we think about an ancestral diet, so like paleo is one of these ancestral diets, what was consistent about paleo, about ancestral diets is that they were inconsistent, right? That that food wasn't always the same foods wasn't always weren't always available. Um, so I think eat seasonally, eat what grows. Like I don't eat a ton of tropical fruit. We live in the desert. On you know we're not in the tropics. Um, I eat a ton of berries if I'm in the Pacific Northwest in the summer. Like eat what's available seasonally, and you'll you should be getting the right things. Um, and then change it up. You know, don't I? I believe that variety and the ability to tolerate variety in your diet is a sign of health. So I'm not the kind of doctor that's uh, telling everybody to get on a super restrictive diet. Mm-hmm. But there are times when I think a candida cleanse or certainly an elimination diet, if you have a question about what your sensitivities or allergies might be, um, that that's important to do. And I do think that's the gold standard in testing is an elimination and then challenge diet. Mm. So there's there's lots of diets that can be helpful for people. Um, I don't have a favorite because I think they're all beneficial to certain types of people and at different times in their lives as well. Like we talk about eating seasonally throughout the year. But there's also seasons of your life where different diets make make more sense. Yeah, that's super helpful. Um, Before we wrap up, I have a couple more questions. But is there anything that I didn't ask you in regard to optimizing brain health that you would want to leave the women listening with today? Uh, Well, you know, I will just say you asked me about what I eat and I'm breastfeeding right now. For many moms out there, breastfeeding, pregnancy, and and for kids as well. So there's no child, but we're, we're talking about mice or fruit flies in the lab, or we're talking about humans. There's all young animals. They should never be restricted. So just because you're benefiting from a keto diet at 35 or 45, your 15 year old or your three year old should not be on a diet like that, right? That that's or intermittent fasting. Kids should not be like that. Uh, kids should have access to as much food as they want. Um, and then pregnant and breastfeeding women, I don't recommend any diet that would be in any way potentially detoxifying, and the ketogenic diet would fall into that. Mm. So what I eat right now is I, I, you know, I aim for whole foods, more of like a um, like an anti-inflammatory mm. diet. Like what's um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Give us an example of a, a meal for you. Yeah. So I typically make a smoothie in the morning Mm -hmm. that has, I'm allergic to eggs. So otherwise eggs would be fantastic, but I did find through an elimination diet that I am allergic to eggs. Mm -hmm. So, um, I throw in there, I usually do a protein powder, coconut milk, or I really like the ripple pea milk these days. Um, and then either acai or, 
I, I really like uh, one orange, one green apple, mm. cucumber, I either cilantro or basil, lemon. Um, sometimes I'll put a little jalapeno in there, wow. ton of greens, um, the citrusy basil or citrusy cilantro mm. that I love that. Um, and then an avocado. So get good fats. And so I'll make something like that in the morning, you know, depending on what's in the hemp parts. I think I threw in there this morning. Um, in addition to your water, you know, cause you said you don't leave the house without mm-hmm. drinking. So you have your 24 ounces of water and your smoothie. Usually I take the smoothie. This is one of my favorite life hacks, right? The mason jar. Yeah. Um, I put my smoothie in a mason jar with a lid on it. So I can throw it in my purse. I can throw it in a backpack. I can put it in the car. It's not going to spill on my way out the door. And then I drink that like throughout the morning or, uh, and I, I don't skip breakfast. I think again, I'm breastfeeding. And when I was pregnant, um, I, I think that a lot of people who are doing intermittent fasting are, are doing it wrong. Mm. <laughs> I would recommend doing uh, breakfast and lunch and skipping dinner mm. versus doing lunch and dinner. Um, that's my opinion. I think most people sleep better if they have more space between mm-hmm. their last meal and sleep. Yeah. And then also I um, you're basically getting fuel as you need it, right? You need more right. fuel during the day than at night. Um, okay. So before we wrap up, can you leave the women listening with your three best tips on living a good life? Uh, um, I mean, diet, exercise, sleep in that order. No, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Well, probably sleep, exercise, diet. Um, yeah. The other I mean, meditation, we haven't even talked about that at all yet, but meditation is the des- the the very, it's the best deal in medicine, hands down. And exercise, I think of as a, fum- a form of moving meditation. Mm. So a daily meditation practice or mindfulness practice is, you will get more out of that than anything else. If everyone in the world did that, the world would be, again, a different and much better place. Um, meditation so for brain time. health. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but meditation for brain health or just overall health or both. Absolutely everything. Everything. Yeah, meditation just makes us better at life. Do you do? Do you use an app? Do you do um, a vis- you know a guided one? How do you like to do it, or is one you can recommend? Yeah, so I'm an addict to uh, of novelty, so I tend to change it up. Um, Vishen Lakiani is a great. Um, he has a six phase meditation. Um, there are Headspace is fantastic, mm-hmm. especially the British accent. Mm-hmm. Love that. And then I, what I do now, so whenever I breastfeed, that's my moment, right? Because life is different for me with a, a young baby. But when I am breastfeeding, I'm a hundred percent present with her. I don't get on the phone. I don't. I leave my phone somewhere else. Um, and I, I'm not answering emails. I'm not talking to other people. I'm just with her. So that has been what I'm doing right now. But I, um, like Eslin, an Eslin retreat. I've done 40 years of Zen. So I, I like retreats. I like being able to do an immersive experience. Um, and then typically I leave with one little thing that changes what I do on a daily basis. But right now it's the breastfeeding. Well, I love the the idea of mindfulness anyway, because we can do that in any moment. You don't need the app. You don't need to be sitting, you know, you could just, whatever you're doing, if you're with your child, be fully present to your child, put that phone away. I mean, that's, that alone is huge. So, okay. We got eat, sleep, diet, 
And then meditation is their third. I know we have eat, sleep, and diet in number one all together, but what would be your third? <laughs> oh, this is fun. Um, relationships. Mm. Just, yeah, the, the quality of our relationships. I mean, it in, influences stress levels, certainly. I ask every patient about their relationships, but um, make in this, there's some overlap with diet, of course, you know, having having meals with people is so much more healing than eating alone or eating on the run. And then with meditation, of course, there's a lot of overlap here, just being present with people. Um, and the quality of your relationships certainly changes when you bring in a mindfulness practice. But having good relationships or, and forgiving those who are involved in, in bad relationships. I mean, that is so freeing and so healthy. I can't tell you how many patients I've seen where they either go through a divorce um, and really shift a bad relationship or they make peace with their partner or their mother or their child or their abuser. That is so healing. Um, so I would encourage people to, to have Good, maintain and put effort into good quality relationships and then forgive the shitty ones. Oh my goodness. This has been, I could talk to you for the entire day. So you're going to have to come back on. I've already decided. <laughs> <laughs> You've been so generous with your time though. But before we sign off, where can people learn about you and your work? So northcountynaturalmedicine.com. Um, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on the web, of course, and the number here is 760-385-8683. So you can call if, if someone's interested in this study, we are getting a list going of uh, people as soon as we hit go, we'll be able to call and um, get people signed up. And then also if anyone's interested in the in the immersive experience and the Bredesen approach, that lifestyle, um, the uh, that should be open hopefully first quarter of 2020. Wow, this has been so enlightening. I feel like I've learned so much and feel inspired to put it into action too. So thank you so much. Michelle, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I loved today's conversation with Dr. Sanderson and all of the show notes for everything we discussed will be over at thegoodlifecoach.com forward slash zero five one and all of the books and resources mentioned will be linked up there for your reference. If you know of somebody who would benefit from hearing today's show, please take a minute to share it. And also if you're on iTunes, would you be so kind as to take a minute to rate and review the podcast? If you've been getting benefit out of the show and have been enjoying it, it would mean the world to me. It helps me know it's resonating with you and it also helps other women find the show. It's how iTunes lets other people know about it. The more reviews, the more they circulated apparently. And so as we go into year two of The Good Life Coach, my goal is to get it to as many women as possible and to help empower them to make the most of this one precious life. So thank you so much as always for tuning in and I'll look forward to reconnecting next Wednesday. Bye for now. Bye.